Okay, we're rolling. Well, welcome to Equipod, the Spirit Keeper Equine Sanctuary podcast, where we're going to talk all about things equine, their relatives, and Spirit Keeper Equine Sanctuary news and events. My name is Lori Torini, and I'm the director, animal caretaker, and trainer of Spirit Keeper Equine Sanctuary. I was one of the founding um, members in 2014, along with um, six other people who became our seven-member board, and some of those board members have changed over the last few years, um, which brings me to my co-host, Angie. My name is Angie Candy. Um, I am an animal care specialist slash board member. I'm pretty new to this whole experience. Um, I've never really had any experience with horses before my internship through Pikes Peak Community College, and I've really gotten uh, to know these horses, gotten to uh, expand my knowledge on equids, which has been really great, and it's been a pleasure working here, and I hope that that comes out in the podcast. So I think the best place to start, since this is our first episode, is to talk a little bit about how Spirit Keeper Equine Sanctuary got started and the history of why we're here. And it definitely got started because over 30 years ago, I started riding horses. It wasn't very long after that that I started training horses. And in 1996, I started my own business um, training horses and teaching horseback riding lessons. And I acquired several lesson horses. But as those lesson horses got older, or if one got injured or sick and was no longer able to be used, I couldn't get rid of it. I feel like if you get a horse, it's for life. And you don't get rid of your children if one becomes disabled or has a disease or something's wrong with your child or another loved one in your family. You don't just discard them because they're not, and I'm doing air quotes, useful anymore. (laughs) And I don't think that you should do that with horses either. I think that you make a commitment to that horse for life um, because you made that choice to get that horse. And humans throughout history made the choice to domesticate horses and we're responsible for them now. And so I started acquiring more horses that were not usable for lesson horses or for riding than what I had in my lesson string. And I developed a reputation for taking in special needs horses or horses that couldn't be ridden. And I had a lot of people um, give me horses, but really what they were doing is dumping them on me because they had a medical condition (laughs) or they were old. And so eventually, my business was going really well, and, and I was teaching about 10 hours a week, riding lessons on the side of a regular full-time job and doing horse training, um, but we were acquiring so many horses that were at risk, um, that were elderly, that were special needs, that had medical issues, um, that that was becoming more of our focus than the riding lessons. And as my riding lesson horses retired, I just wasn't going to keep getting more and adding more and more horses to our herd. So it was actually my husband, Jim, who suggested that we become a 501c3 nonprofit because we were basically already doing horse rescue. And at the time, we were board members of Ruby Ranch Horse Rescue, which was another horse rescue out here in Colorado. And psychologically, that was difficult for me because horse rescues take in horses and adopt them back out. Um, I did training for them and 
I served as a board member for them, and it was difficult for me to see horses go out to homes that I knew weren't 100% right for them, or horses go out that I just had a gut feeling were gonna get returned, and that did happen pretty often. But the way rescues work is you have to adopt out to help more. And so when my husband and I, um, along with five other people, decided to do the nonprofit, we decided to make it a sanctuary and that we would take in special needs horses, at-risk horses, um, that had some condition that made them not rideable, not usable, um, and that we would give them a, a place to retire or a place to live for the rest of their lives. So that's how we got started. And we became incorporated as a 501c3 in January of 2014. So we've been doing it almost five years. This is December 2018, so next month will be our five-year anniversary. I actually didn't know all that. Yeah. We've never really talked about that. We haven't. <laughs> so do you have one. any questions that came up in your mind that our followers might have? Oh, man. Um, so when you say, like, they were adopting out to people that you that weren't potentially you know good owners why what what is well, your it wasn't that checklist? they wouldn't be good owners it was just that based on the horses personalities because i trained many the horses are more adoptable if they have some training than if you take a horse that's had no training in, in being haltered and led or groundwork or riding and try to adopt it out. And so I was one of the trainers there. And I knew these horses intimately because I worked with them on a daily basis training them. And I would see that based on the horse's personality that they maybe weren't a good fit for the potential adopter's personality. And I could see down the road where there might be some miscommunications between those people and the horses. And sometimes that did happen and then the horses would get returned. Hmm. Or sometimes the horse would be adopted out, full disclosure that it had an issue, either a bone spur or it could only be used for light riding because it had an issue. Um, but then people wouldn't be 100% committed to that, and after a few months or a year or so of having the horse decided it was too much for them, hmm. and they would get returned. And I think it's very difficult for horses, based on the fact that they're herd animals, um, that establish social relationships and social bonds with other horses to move around that much, to get taken from a place they've gotten used to, move to a new place, get used to that place, and then get returned or get moved to yet another place that they have to get used to. And so my psychological makeup had difficulty with that. I feel like I want to take the animals in here and keep them for life and have those animals know that they're never going to get have to worry about going to a new place or losing their friends other than to death and of course we have animals die here because we're a sanctuary we give the animals lifetime sanctuary so we do have to deal with a lot of um, deaths another thing that really has influenced my life in regards to horses is reading the book black beauty by anna swell and seeing all the different versions of the movie black beauty and i think that it's, it should really be required reading for anyone getting a horse. Yes, it's fiction, but it talks about this horse who's born and how happy it is living with its mom. And it's very happy with its first owners and they train it and they treat it well. But then those people, um, due to an illness in the family, have to give up their farm and Black Beauty gets sent to another place and it follows him through multiple owners, some of which did not treat him well 
and uh, I'm going to start crying. <laughs> because at the end, when Black Beauty's old and is eventually rescued by a person that was his groom when he was a young horse, recognizes him at an auction where he's old and decrepit, Black Beauty um, finally goes to a nice place to live out the rest of his life. <clears throat> and it talks about him... Um, thinking in his mind that sometimes he thinks about standing under the apple tree in the orchard at his first home and thinking about his friends, Ginger and Mary Lakes, being with him. That's been a huge influence on how I treat horses and how I think about them. I get that. <laughs> I have a couple books like that. I've actually read Black Beauty. It was, I cried, I remember. It was terrible. <laughs> but I do think that it's a good... Uh, book as a starter even if it's just for a kid because it isn't it's an easier read you know and a kid can read it and understand something like that and it can uh instill a lot of emotions towards animals that I think that as a human population we have trouble because we see them as just you know pets or not right. and they're in there they are pets and we do have to take care of them, but they rely on us like children they, they can't. Do. They can't take care of us, and it was our decision to domesticate Absolutely. all of these animals—cats, dogs, horses, yes, whatever it was. And now we don't want to deal with the aftermath, with all the inbreeding and all the medical problems that comes with that. And you know, we use them as monetary things. People breed them quickly, and I think that's the same with horses. You know, I've working here. I have seen. Horses without eyeballs, horses that have laminitis. Most of these horses, all of these horses mostly can't get ridden. And that's sad because a lot of these horses are not old enough for that to be happening. And that's because of our lack of uh, humility, our lack of emotional capacity for something like that. And just a lack of understanding something that can't also speak the same language as us. And I think that's where the disconnect is. I think... Books like Black Beauty or even training books that make you see the horse's perspective or the animal's perspective are good for everyone to read because we don't think about life from the animal's perspective. We're thinking about life from the human perspective, and animals are not humans. They have their own ways to communicate, and, and they communicate with us very clearly if we know how to listen. And oftentimes people are not listening to the signals that the horses give us and consequently, we cause them pain and suffering. We use training techniques that are injurious to them. And many of the horses here um, shouldn't be lame, shouldn't have the psychological issues that they have um, because humans have caused all that. I agree. And that's why we chose to do a sanctuary instead of a rescue or other type of facility. That's so, why we're doing what we're doing, to give them a place to live out their lives. And unless something happens to us, they will always be cared for as individuals. And that's another thing that I think is important is we treat every animal here as an individual. So we are going to modify the way that we keep them according to that individual animal's needs. We're not going to treat all the horses here the same. We are going to look at each horse's personality. They're medical needs, their physical needs, and we're going to do what we have to to make sure they're in the right type of enclosure, that they're getting handled in the right way, and that they're getting fed the right way um, based on them as an individual, not based on we treat all the horses the same. So speaking on that nonprofit 
it means that you don't get money from this. We don't. How would somebody listening donate to this wonderful nonprofit? We have several ways, and we actually get very little public support. Yes, you I know, would agree. Since, yeah. you're, since, since you've been part of our it's organization. Um, when we started this, I was working a full-time job with the city, and most of my paycheck goes to feeding um, hay, grain, veterinary care, the hoof trims, the dental work. Um, my husband's paycheck was paying for our own living expenses and almost 100% of my paycheck was going to the sanctuary. And as the sanctuary grew and got busier and special needs horses take more time to take care of, um, my riding lesson business fell by the wayside. And so I'm, for the most part, unless someone has their own horse, I'm not teaching riding lessons anymore because I can't keep accumulating lesson horses and have them get old and keep them and then we have twice the horses. Um, and I'm only taking one horse in at a time for training. So I'm not getting income from that. So the nonprofit has truly been non-profitable for us as a family. (laughs) Um, And I just retired in August of 2018 from my full-time job with the city, and I have a retirement coming in, but that's much less than what my full-time pay was. So we're struggling right now um, to keep the horses in feed and in hay. Hay prices at the same time have gone up. They've skyrocketed. When we first got into horses, hay prices were four dollars to six dollars for a 60 to 80 pound bale of hay and we're paying 15 dollars right now it's crazy so to answer your question people can (laughs) donate by um going to our facebook page there's a donate button at the top and i think you checked and on the mobile app there's a button at the top and one at the bottom yep where you can push donate and it gives you the option to donate one time or donate monthly um you can also go to our website, and there's a couple of ways to donate on there. One links you right back to Facebook, because Facebook, um, within the last year, started waiving all fees for nonprofits. And so any donation made through Facebook goes directly to us, 100%. They don't take out any fees. And then there's also a link on our website to PayPal Giving Fund. So we're on PayPal Giving, and we also get 100% of what's donated through PayPal Giving. Um, and our website, by the way, is Spirit Keeper Equine. Dot org. So spiritkeeperequine, all one word, dot org. The other ways that you can help us is shop Amazon Smile. I do. And choose us as your sanctuary, as your, as your nonprofit. And then you can also do Good Search and Good Shop. And we're on there and you can choose Spirit Keeper Equine Sanctuary as your nonprofit. But right now, um, it's the end of the year and we're participating in the Indie Gift program through the um, Colorado Springs Independent and Business Journal and some other local sponsors sponsor Indie Give every year and so the Give 2018 is going on now through December 31st and you can find us on IndieGive.com under animals and donate through that program and we also get 100% of the proceeds from that and you can earn special rewards if you donate through Indie Give. Um, people have donated, like, um, you know, certificates for dinner, certificates for nights at the Broadmoor, certificates for free food and drink and um, skiing or just different things. So if you donate, you can earn rewards based on the level of money that you donate. Yep, I saw that online. They also do, um, if you're local to Colorado Springs, Denver kind of area, we um, do a beer, it's a black lager release mm-hmm. 
uh, that they're doing until the end of this year. I'm not sure if they're going to do it next year. I think they did it last year, so I think it's a yearly thing. Um, you can go to, it was, which one? Exactly. The, Br- the Bristol Brewing in Ivy Chicago. Wild or old, any old Chicago. Um, and if you buy a beer, they give you a checklist, and you can check whichever one that you would wish to give but we would love it if you pick spirit equine sanctuary yes, we would. and you get three dollars we get three dollars per beer off of the the price of the beer 100 percent, no taxes no anything so that would if that would be great if anyone could come out i usually go out there i love the food there ivy wild school the bristol brewing is some of the best beer i've ever had and the best food yeah yeah okay so since this is our first first podcast, um, first um, installment of Equipod, we just want to let everybody know a little bit of our history and background, how you can find us, and what the future podcasts are going to entail. So again, our website, spiritkeeperequine.org, and then we're also on Facebook under Spirit Keeper Equine Sanctuary. And our Facebook page is really where we do daily updates and we post pictures or um, an educational article or something about um, conservation or science or training every day on our Facebook page. So that's really the go-to place to keep up with current affairs. Our website has our mission statement, a, little, a lot about what we, what we do here, and um, some information about the animals that we have here. We are primarily a sanctuary that cares for equines but we do occasionally take care of other species on a case-by-case basis. So right now, um, we have some dogs, cats, a chicken, three potbelly pigs, some feral cats that we're taming and getting spayed and neutered, and we have some three snakes right now that were relinquished to us. And we very, very rarely have anything available to foster or adopt because a sanctuary keeps the animals for life. But if we help an animal that is adoptable um, or that is in good enough shape that they can go to a foster home, we we do that. And right now, we don't have any horses available to foster, um, but we do have a smooth collie that's available for foster and adoption. She has some special needs, so if you're interested, just contact us for more information. And we have three snakes that were relinquished to us that were in need of rehoming. And had uh, two of them had some special medical needs when they first got here. They, uh, but that's all been taken care of. So we have two corn snakes and a children's python. So if anyone's interested in finding out more about those animals, you can contact us through our Facebook page. Our email is spiritkeeperequinesanctuary at gmail.com. You can contact us through our website. Um, we welcome visitors here at Spirit Keeper Equine Sanctuary, so you can contact us for an appointment to visit. Um, the reason that we don't have an open door policy of dropping by any time and the reason that we don't publicize our address too much is because um, we don't want people just randomly dropping off animals here. Oh, yeah, if that we, would be an issue. If we, we've had that issue um, at Ruby Ranch Horse Rescue where the caretakers were off property and they came home and there were horses that were dumped there. Are you serious? Yes. So we don't want that to happen here. Oh we are at capacity. We have 50 horses that we're caring for right now, and we, we're we just at our financial limit right now and at our um, limit, our care limit, quite frankly, of time. 
So if you want to visit or you want to mail us a donation, contact us directly either um, through one of those electronic sources through email or call us at 719-478-0080. That's our landline. And we'll give you our address for those donations or for you to come out and visit. All right, so I think each week we're gonna have a section that's gonna be called follow-up. And that's gonna yes. be following up anything we discussed from the previous week. However, since this is our first podcast, we don't have any follow-up. <laughs> no. So we're gonna talk about any new news. You wanna talk about Arafel? Uh Let's talk about her during the horse of the week segment. Okay, gotcha. So any new news, I'm trying to think. Indy gives our biggest news right now. It really is. We're, we just reached donation matching, so that's yes. big news. That's a good thing. Yes, we had three organizations, Behavior Education LLC, which is actually the personal business that I'm running right now, which is animal training and behavior, and those animals do include people, so we do have some classes for people too, <laughs> but then I primarily concentrate on horses, uh, dogs, and snakes at the moment. Um, so my personal business did a matching grant, and then we have a matching grant from the El Pomar Foundation. Yep, they I put up that. a matching grant, and uh, we also got a third matching grant from the CE Shop, and they do online training. Um, I think it's for realtors, but I would have to double check. But it's the ceshop.com. Huh. And one of our volunteers and one of our foster moms works for them, and she got her employers to put up a matching grant. And so we raised three thousand dollars in matching grant pledges, wow. which during Indie Give we had to match, or we wouldn't get them. And yes. we have met that match now. Thank goodness. So now any donations above and beyond that are um, awesome, and that's what we're going for. And that let's talk about what that money's going to go for. Yeah, Indie Give money and any money that's donated. <sighs> We need to talk about where Perimeter that goes. Perimeter enclosures. It safe. goes 100% to the animals <laughs> yeah, and to the sanctuary. Food, we, medical. We have no paid staff. No, it's I'm all a volunteer. a volunteer board. In fact, many of the board members put in their own money. Mostly yep. it's the two, the four founding members, which are myself, my husband, and then the other two founding members were um, Sandra Klingy and um, Shelly Carbonara Ramos. But, yes, it's all volunteer yeah, Board, I don't get all volunteer <laughs> workers. So uh, all of the money, 100% of it that's donated, literally goes 100% back into the horses. We should talk about the perimeter fence that's getting added. Yeah. So we have uh, the a couple metal, I guess, a metal workers. Is that what they're... They're a fencing company. Fencing company. So they put up any kind of fence. They oh. do a dog fence. They do wood fences, chain link fences. I just assume because they always come no. out with their... They do any kind of fencing. But huh. we're having welded pipe yes. put in because it's sturdy and safe. Yes. Um, unfortunately, we've had horses severely injured in straight wire fence, which was what was on the property Hunter. when we moved here. Well, we had Pahanika died from her injuries. She wow. became, she was 32 years old and was getting dementia. And we went out to get the horses in during a blizzard a winter mm -hmm. blizzard a couple of years ago and she got panicked and ran and she ran through three wire fences <sighs> our property and the next two properties and we found her in the blizzard upside down in the wire we were able to get her out of the wire and um get her home on a makeshift stretcher mm -hmm. um 
but the vet couldn't get out. We had a blizzard going on. Yeah. Um, she was given pain medication here. She was given food and water, but she couldn't get up, and she died the next day. That's terrible. And that's the worst story that I have about straight wire fencing. But horses easily get tangled in it. And we have several horses here that have had leg injuries um, from getting tangled in the wire fence. And that might yeah. happen because they get startled and scared and mm -hmm. run through it. Um, we've had loose stray dogs chase horses into the fence. We've had horses just bickering with the, another group over the fence and hurt themselves. Wire fencing is not recommended by the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries or by the Humane Society of the United States or by other um, organizations that are knowledgeable about equine sanctuaries and rescues. And so we are trying to replace all of our straight wire fencing with welded thick pipe that if a horse runs into it, they may get knocked around Down. a little bit, yeah. but they are not going to go through it. They're not going to get tangled in it. So it's safe for our horses with cognitive dysfunctions. It's safe for our blind horses. And it's safe for those horses who have learned how to get through the wire fence yeah. and like to let themselves out and roam around. <laughs> yeah, that happens a lot here. <laughs> so that most of the donations will probably go to that. Hay, feed, medication, veterinarian bills, which is all the time. The Things farrier. like that. The farrier to come dentist. out and do shoes. Dentist, yep. Things like that. So donations, they're not going into anybody's pocket. They're going 100% to the horse's the other animals that are on property, things like that. It's where nobody is benefiting from any of this except for that. <laughs> Some of it maintenance. We've Some had, of it maintenance, yeah. We've had to have um, our entire well pump replaced one and year. And the cars. Our truck. So we have one sanctuary truck that's a four-wheel drive pickup truck with a bed that pulls our hay trailer, pulls our horse trailer. Yeah. It hasn't worked in six months. Mm -hmm. And we haven't been able to afford to fix it. And our local feed store is just fantastic about delivering for us and letting us borrow their flatbed trailer and truck when we need it. Yeah. They're fantastic. It's Big Joe's Feed in Yoder, Colorado. And they're absolutely fantastic the way that they bend over backwards to work with our animal sanctuary. And we actually have their truck here right now yeah. um, that we just used to bring our latest load of hay. And so um, sometimes money has to go to things like maintenance for the truck, the horse trailer. Um, without a well and septic, we wouldn't have water and plumbing. And so there are things like that that we have to use the money for, but that all ultimately is also is for, for the, the horses. animals. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So what else do we want to talk about every week? I guess we're going to have a horse of the week that yep. we, until we get through all 50 horses <laughs> that we have here, which um, if we're still doing the podcast and I'd like to see how many listeners we have by the time we hit horse number 50. I don't know what kind of a goal to set up, but I don't know. Um, the first horse that we want to talk about is Arafel. Mm-hmm. And she's an Arabian mare. So for those of you who are familiar with breeds, which we are going to do some education on different horse breeds and different species of equids and their relatives throughout the coming weeks. But Arafel's an Arabian mare. That means she's a female horse. She's bay, and that's a color that's brown with black mane and tail. Mm -hmm. And Arafel was born May 18th, 1987. She's older than me. Wow. By, let's see, five years. <laughs> five years. She's older than me by five. She's oh, 31. You're so young. I am pretty young. I just <laughs> turned 49, but I don't feel like it. I feel you don't, just look, you don't act like it. Either. I feel just the same as I felt when I started all this 
in my early 20s. That's good. So, Arafel is 31. One. Mm-hmm. She's going to be 32, 32 this coming April of 2019. Yeah. And Arafel has always been the lead mayor of any herd that we've placed her in. Um, but we acquired her. First of all, I've known Arafel since she was young. Yeah. I knew Arafel's breeder. Um, I had purchased um, an Arabian horse in 1993 from this breeder. And uh, he actually hired me to train some of his horses. And when he sold Arafel, I think she was four or five years old. Mm-hmm. She was born on his property. He gave my name to her new owner, and they hired me to train her. So I've known her since she was four or five years old. Wow. I actually trained her back then, kept in touch with her owners. And in 2002, we had a fire out here in Colorado called the Hayman Fire. Yeah. It was a huge fire up in the mountains. Mm-hmm. And Arafel's home had to be evacuated. So her owner called me, and I evacuated all three of their horses to our property. And... Um, the, the woman had gone through a divorce, and Arafel had been her husband's horse, and she wasn't that fond of Arafel, and Arafel was called a hard keeper, which means she eats a lot and needs a lot of calories to maintain her weight. Okay. We have other horses here that are easy keepers, that you barely give them a flake of hay or a pellet of grain, and they gain 10 pounds. Yeah. Arafel's always been a hard keeper, and when she was evacuated due to the fire, she was really skin and bones. Um, those horses stayed with me about a month until they were able to go back home. And I, I talked with Arafel's owner and said, you know, I know this was your ex-husband's horse. I know you're not that fond of her. She really needs some more special nutrition than what she's getting. How about you leave her with me? And she did. That was a great decision on her part. Yeah, it was. Um, and so Arafel's been with me since 2002. And, of course, when we founded the sanctuary in 2014, she was automatically grandfathered into that because she has always required some special nutrition to keep pounds on her. Yeah. And she's always been the lead mare of any group of horses that she's been with without challenge. No horse has ever challenged her. She's just always been the in-charge lead mare. And so far, that still stands, actually. But last, say, yeah. last month in November, I started noticing her standing off by herself more Mm -hmm. and being more affectionate with me and and demanding more attention of me following me around um to where the last two weeks she's been following me out of the pasture when i feed in wanting to stay up at the barn and eat up at the barn and this has been a tradition with all of our elderly horses when they sort of get to that point where they start behaving that way and telling me hey i'm really starting to feel my age we let them roam around our yard yeah. And so we close our front gate, and she's able to roam around as she pleases, and we put her back into her herd at night. And right now that's working out really well. But there may come a point where she's no longer able to sustain in the herd. That hasn't happened yet. Where she may find herself in her own personal pen up at the barn by herself or with one other horse where she's getting special attendance every day, special nutrition, special care, where there's no other horses that are going to bother her. Yeah. And we do that with a couple of horses already, so it we wouldn't do. be something uh, abnormal anyways. And I can definitely tell that she's uh, become more. She followed me around all yeah. morning when and I was She's feeding. not traditionally a friendly horse. She like, loved she's it. She's always been an uppity horse where don't touch me, don't mess with me. Um, pretty feisty, but yeah. lately she's been like a puppy dog. Yeah, even when I just first started here in what, January of this mm-hmm. year, she was very she wasn't standoffish but she wouldn't she wasn't very interested in me she just wanted to get fed and then she ran off and 
She followed me the entire time I hayed this morning. And it was great. She didn't even want any of the hay. She just wanted my apple. Yeah. Yeah. So we're at about 30 minutes. So I think we're on track. Yeah. We want to try to keep the podcast to an hour or less every week. And some of the other topics that we're going to incorporate in the weekly podcast, besides the horse of the week, are going to be a breed of the week or species of the week, a species of equid of the week, or a relative. So in general today, let's just talk about what that means. There are different breeds of horses, like there are different breeds of dogs. So you've got wolves, then you've got dogs, and then dogs are further separated into different breeds, like Collie, German Shepherd, Pug. Yeah, Chihuahua. Chihuahua, Jack Russell Terrier. You guys get the idea. Horses are the same way. Um, So equids consist of wild horses and donkeys and asses. So you've got um, the zebras are a type of wild equid. You've got the uh, Shulvosky's horse, which is a type of wild equid. And then you've got um, like the Somali wild ass. Um, and different species of some wild asses and donkeys. So those are what the family Equidae consists of. You've got basically zebras, horses, and donkeys, whether domestic or wild. And then horses have some relatives in um, the order called Perissodactyla. Yes. Um, So Perissodactyls are horses. Which means one toe. Yeah, it means odd toed. Odd toed. So it's an odd toed ungulate, which basically means it's hoof stock with an odd number of toes. Um, so you'd have either one, three, five, etc. Um, there are many, many, many hundreds of species of extinct perissodactyls. Yes. Um, unfortunately, all of the ones that are left are horses, donkeys, zebras. Tapers. Tapers. And rhinoceroses. rhinoceroses. Yep. So we may talk about tapers and rhinos. Um, in some episodes too because they're the closest living relatives um, to horses outside of actual equids. So that's going to be part of our weekly our weekly podcast yep. is we'll talk about a horse of the week and then we'll talk about a breed or species of the week. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about upcoming events and uh, we have an upcoming event to talk about right now which is just sort of a save the date. Yes. Um, so for the summer solstice which is June 21st yes. it's on a Friday this year. So we're going to open up Spirit Keeper Equine Sanctuary to camping overnight. We're going to open up one of our pastures. We're going to get a porta potty. We're going to have just a lot of fun that night, maybe a hayride. And we have to iron out all the details. It's six months away. But we want people to save the date because it's going to be a great weekend. Yeah, we can do s'mores, campfire yep. stuff. I don't mind. We could probably do some, like, wine tasting. We even stuff. have equipment that we can show, like, a nighttime movie on the side of the barn. Yeah, we could do that. Put a big sheet. That would be yes. fun. We could do Black Beauty. Oh, I'll cry. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, so that's planned for Friday night, June 21st. You can bring your tent. You can bring your camper. Hey, if you just want to sleep out under the stars in your sleeping bag, that's cool. I don't we're, recommend that. There's lots of poop. <laughs> well, and it gets cold even in the summer. <laughs> yeah, it does. But we are going to open that up to camping overnight. Yeah. Um, and then the next day, we're going to have a sanctuary tour. Mm-hmm. We're going to have events that include educational speakers so I will do some type of horse training um, segment. We're trying to get um, Melissa Shandley, who does the equine spirit masks, which are special horse-shaped masks that she teaches you how to make with mirrors inside that when you put on allows you to see how a horse sees. 
and yeah. you really get to see the world from their perspective, which is just amazing. I've done this workshop before. Um, I'm going to try to get um, a veterinary ophthalmologist to come talk about equine vision that day. We're, our farriers all already agreed that he's going to come yeah. and talk about hoof care and um, answer any questions that people have about equine lameness as it relates to hoof care and the, and the feet specifically. And then we're hopefully going to get some other speakers. And some things I have in mind are uh, somebody to talk about perissodactyl conservation, so mm-hmm. wild equids, rhinos, tapers. Um, we know some people locally. Angie and I both went through the... Um, Zookeeping, zookeeping science program at Pikes Peak Community College, and we made a lot of contacts at local zoos and a lot of local and global conservation contacts. So we'll yeah. try to get somebody to come in and talk about conservation. Um, the other thing is living with local wildlife. We've already spoken to a couple of people that can come and talk about how to live in harmony with local wildlife, i.e. bull snakes, rattlesnakes, garter snakes, um, coyotes, groundhogs, all of the local wildlife here in Colorado that a lot of people like to kill, and I don't want people killing local wildlife. Yeah. It all has a function in our ecosystem, and we shouldn't just be killing a snake because we don't like it. I or agree. shooting a coyote because it's on our property. Um, there are ways that you can safely live with those animals and not hurt our ecosystem. I agree. And yeah. Angie right now is studying. <laughs> Talk about a little bit about what you're doing in the next step in your career. So I... Got my associates at Pikes Peak Community College in the zookeeping science uh, field, and then I decided that I wanted to continue my education at uh, Colorado State University in uh, Pueblo, Colorado. Um, I'm majoring in uh, natural resource and wildlife management degree, and possibly going for my master's in wildlife biology. I'm not sure yet. We'll see how motivated I am at the end of this two more years. (laughs) We'll see about that, but... For now, um, I actually just got accepted as a job um, at Colorado State University as a research assistant for a PhD uh, study on prairie songbirds and mercury levels and how we are causing as humans in our water supply, causing the natural wildlife around us, including birds, because that's which she's decided, even though I'm not the biggest fan of birds, it'll still be fun. <laughs> birds are extremely important to they are. our planet. I agree. And our ecosystem. Yes. Here's the issue I have with birds is I think they're one of the few species that don't necessarily need to be kept in captivity. No, I would A agree A lot with of you. people own birds as pets. And I think unless a bird is injured or requires special care, yeah. then I think it should be brought into a sanctuary or a zoo or a wildlife uh, rehab facility but birds fly i know hundreds of feet in the sky i know birds fly hundreds of miles across our planet and for us to take them and put them in a cage i agree just breaks my heart and we're not going to do any of that during the study we're going to catch release take uh you know blood samples your fecal samples urine samples things like that just to see how wherever they're coming from and wherever they're going and see at what point here in this state during their migratory path or whether this is home for them forever mm-hmm. what the mercury levels of the water and what's getting into the food because they primarily eat things that live in the earth worms mm-hmm. and sometimes small fish so and reptiles and reptiles which also drink water so the water portion i think is what we're focusing on just because i know the water mm-hmm. around here because of the military bases runoff right. chemical things i know it's not the best and we have 
had, even in, where I live in security, we can't drink the water, like, from the tap. Wow. We can't because there's so much, so much flame-retardant chemicals from all of the military things. And I was in the military, and I know for a fact that <laughs> I did laundry, and all of my uniforms had PCBs on them. Wow. And now, looking back, I did not even think about it. I didn't even think that it was going into the water, mm-hmm. and it could cause all of this. But it bioaccumulates, and that's where we're going. Birds get eaten by bigger birds, which then get can get eaten by other things once they die or something else happens. And I just think that it's terrible that, you know, we have to do something like a groundbreaking study mm-hmm. for people to actually figure out. But that's what I'm doing. I start January 14th. That's exciting. So I guess I'll update you guys as yeah. it goes on, and hopefully I will come to love birds. That's really exciting. <laughs> we have quite a few birds on the ranch here yeah we do i don't know what kind they all are they look like a lot of barn pigeons to me we have um pigeons yeah yes we we have what are the ones that run on the ground chickadees were they are they bigger ones the guinea are they guinea hens or i don't think they're guinea hens. no what are they called i just did had to do this for a bird journal and avian husbandry (laughs) um i don't know i don't remember we have some small songbirds. Yes, we do. We definitely, and I think that's just because they pick up the little hay that is like left over from the horses, and they use it. I see them flying off with it, like tons of it. That's probably yes. what they're getting out of the. <laughs> the pigeons are probably the ones I'm most familiar with, and when they're building a nest, they don't care if you're in the way; they'll just knock you out yeah. of the way to fly through with their piece of grass or yeah, they hay or straw. I've been hit by a bird or two. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Okay, so that's exciting. So we're definitely going to have conservation pieces in in the podcast because global conservation relates to every single living species on this planet. Including us. Including Including us. Including us, especially us. Including domestic animals. Yes. And I think we're going to be talking a little bit about domestic versus wild. Yes. And what that means and what it means for us to maintain our domestic animals in such a way that they don't interfere with wildlife. Yes. Um, because that's a huge issue with cats. It's yes, cats and birds. Yes, and it is. we're dealing with that right now. Where we had a mom show up with feral, a feral mom show up with kittens earlier this year, and we've since been able to um, tame four of the five feral kittens and yes. get them spayed and neutered. And we are working on the last kitten and the mom, and uh, that I've seen. Our bird population decline. Yes, it has. Since the cats mice, have been here. There's no mice poop in the feed room anymore. And also, I've seen them when we had... When we get very little rain out here in Colorado. It's a dry, semi-arid environment. But this year, more than... We've had even less rain than usual. But yeah. like the one time it rained, we had a lot of frogs come out. And those yeah. cats were going after the baby frogs. Really? Everybody, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, I was trying to keep them from killing frogs. <laughs> And we also have tiger salamanders out here. Yep, I've seen a couple of those. And um, cats. They eat them. Kill all those things. Cats are a top predator. Cats are made to predate on On other living things. They're obligate carnivores. And I love cats, but they need to be, domestic cats need to be kept inside. I agree. And wild felids need to be kept in zoos or in the wild or in wildlife parks, um, not as pets. Yes, the savannah cat thing kills me. 
the Savannah cat thing kills me. <laughs> Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, I actually, so the cat that I, she, so I had a cat and he just walked and he had a serious eye infection. He was very sick and he walked through my dog door. And my other cat, he doesn't go outside. So the dog door's just for the dogs. Um, so he walked in and he was, he's a cat that I've never, he looks very strange. He's got this tail that's, it's the longest tail I've ever seen on a domesticated cat that it, I've ever seen in my entire life. It's more than the length of his body. And I wow. I think when I took him to the vet, she was looking at his teeth and everything and the dentation and stuff. And she said that he might be mixed with a, some kind of savannah cat. Really? He isn't. I love animals. And I would never. He's a jerk. So He is a jerk. For everybody that doesn't know, what's a savannah cat? A savannah cat is a wild cat. It's considered a wild cat. And it's, it's not native to Colorado. A savannah cat is actually native to some of the desert climates mm-hmm. in the United States, but they also come from the actual savannah, which I believe is in Africa. Mm-hmm. So they're an African wild species. They're smaller, and they kind of do look like a domestic cat, because he does. He's mixed with a tabby mm-hmm. of some sort, but he, I can tell by his personality. I can tell by the way he eats. He eats at least four times more than my regular cat. At least, and he doesn't gain a pound. Well, and there are people that breed, for whatever reason, domestic cats with the the wild cats that we do have in the United States. Yes, and he hunts, and he kills. I've I've had him bring in squirrels, full squirrels. Wow. Birds. He catches birds like once a day, and I tried to keep him inside. He tears up my house. Well, and here's the important thing. Not, I mean, I know we've kind of got off on this yes, cat tangent, but it's super important because all these other species we're talking about, the frogs, the tiger salamanders, the snakes, the birds, are all important to our local ecosystem. And that relates to horses in that horses are trying to graze off the grasses that yes. we have here and in other ecosystems. And without those other species that I just named, those grasses are not going to grow. Yes. Because the soil's not going to get... Um, supplied with organic matter, the soil's not going to get aerated, yeah. and seeds are not going to get spread. And, um, and prey items that eat grasses like rabbits, squirrels, right. things like that, if they're not predated on, unfortunately, it means that there's going to be less grass. Right. Yes. So, whereas a snake might eat a bird or a rodent or another reptile once a week or once every couple weeks or once a month, a cat could eat several in one day. Yes. And, and there's does. actually issues in other places like Australia has had whole species go extinct because of domestic cats. Yes, they did. And feral cats. Yes, they did. And so I love cats. We have several I have a lot of cats here, but it's best to keep them away from your native wildlife. It in is. In some way. It really is. I'm still so. trying to figure out how to keep him inside. Yeah, so we have barn cats that we keep in like a cat enclosure when our barn is open yeah so they can't roam around and we have cats in our garage where we do store some feed and stuff and they have um like a way to get outside into an area that we've enclosed with wire so they can be indoor outdoor but they can't run around yeah and then we have house cats that would just stay in the house yes so there are solutions out there and there's several local there cat are. sanctuaries local cat rescues local um cat organizations that will help you with those solutions yes. if you need help. Um, all right, so horse life hacks. So other people talk about life hacks, like 
cheap, easy things that you can do like to make, Pinterest stuff. make your life easier. Yeah. I guess the one, because I didn't work out one ahead of time, but the one that comes to mind, um, because we are getting into winter, it's what's today's December 21st? Today's the winter solstice, yeah. right? Yeah. So today's the first day of winter? Today's the first day of winter. Happy winter. And it's like 60 degrees out. I know. <laughs> and we still haven't had any moisture to speak of. Not really, no. Which that's another thing that's going to have an effect on our grasses and our yeah, grazing and on our horse's skin and our, our skin, my skin. So my life hack, if it does ever snow, um, horses have a tendency in really deep wet snow to get snowballs that will pile up under their hooves. Huh, I didn't it's know that. literally a snowball that forms under the hoof and the horses can hardly walk. Yeah. They have trouble walking and it, it'll become um, difficult for them to walk. They can slip and fall. It's literally a snowball hmm. that forms on the bottom of their hoof. Yeah. And so one of the things that you can do to mitigate that is to smear Vaseline on the huh. underside of the horse's hoof. Yeah. That when makes you sense. know that you're getting that kind of snow and it helps that snow not stick to the hoof. Huh. I so didn't that's know that. my off the top of my head life hack. I have done it before. I've used it when I've known we're gonna get a big heavy wet snow like that that's likely to start forming ice and snowballs under the hoof. Yeah. Um, I've smeared Vaseline on them and it does help mitigate it for a time. Obviously you have to reapply if it's gonna be a long period of time, but yeah. it does help. Huh. So Interesting. We'll come up with one of those every week. Um, we'll come up with a conservation piece and a science piece every week. And that's yes. going to be pieces that we actually research theoretically <laughs> in the week before and then actually report to you on um, with empirical science-based data on that conservation item or that science item as it relates to horses or their relatives. Um, any animals that are available for foster or adoption we'll talk about. Um, and just any news in general, anything's yeah. going on. This morning, we had the farrier out. Yep. He trimmed hooves on how many horses? Three, like four, five, four. seven, or eight horses got hooves trimmed. Yeah. Um, and so for those of you who are new to the horse world, a farrier is somebody that trims horses' feet and or puts um, shoes on horses. Which is important because that's how they get around. No, uh, no hoof, no horse. Yeah, basically. That's, a, that's something you'll hear in the farrier world, in the horseshoeing and horse trimming world huh. all the time. No hoof, no horse. So you have this animal that can be 800 to 1,200 pounds on average that is um, supported by pretty thin spindly legs com in comparison to their overall size. Yeah. And that whole setup, the body, head, legs, is supported by a hoof that's about the size of a softball. Yeah. And so if that hoof is not healthy, uh, you've lost your whole horse. And yeah. we've had horses that have had to be put down or, or have died because of hoof abscesses that weren't resolving or because of laminitis, which is something we can talk about in a future yep. episode. But if the horses do not have adequate hoof care, then um, they're not going to survive. Yeah. And I know people think, well, what do wild horses do? Well, wild horses are traveling 20 miles or more a day. They're not standing in the same spot. They're not standing spot. in the same spot or they're not standing in the same um, five-acre, one-acre pasture, 10-acre pasture even. Mm -hmm. They're moving. So they're not standing on the same substrate, which means their hooves aren't moist all the time or dry all the time. There's a variety. 
and they're wearing their hooves down as they travel. And so wild horses don't have, they have some issues. Mm-hmm. It can be found in wild horse herds, but nowhere near to the extent that we see hoof problems in domestic horses, um, mainly because we're not able to give them the same environment that they would have in the wild, which is differences in terrain, miles and miles and miles to travel around on, and differences in moisture level. Yeah, and that's why you need a farrier. So hoof care is extremely important because those hooves have to be periodically trimmed and balanced, and sometimes horses need shoes Mm -hmm. to protect them from the terrain that they are on, or if the hoof is growing abnormally, um, shoes can be used to correct that. Yep. So that may be something we talk about in the yeah, future. Yeah, well. I think that's important. So in closing, I feel like we talked about a lot this first we time. We actually did. We did really good. <laughs> I'm proud of us. So do you have anything else that you want um, to say? I think that I would just say to the listening public, whoever that might be, that if they want a topic to be discussed or something specific, that if they want to contact you through any of those means, we would be happy yeah. to research it for you and to go into a roundtable discussion. And if you have specific questions, I think we should do a section of a Q&A. We can actually do question of the week. Yeah. And then maybe every few episodes do a roundtable where we just answer listeners' questions. Yeah, so if anyone has any <clears throat> questions, concerns, comments, or stories that are yeah. would help our listeners get knowledge maybe and i think that we're gonna do a fun section too a game section yeah, like game truth section. or fiction or yeah. um something we're gonna come up yeah. with something fun because something that listeners can play at home with. yeah i think that's a good probably for a podcast it's probably going to be some type of question like what's the truth what's the fiction yeah type of thing um because i think in a podcast forum that's easiest to do yeah where we don't have video or or things to show you but we also do have a youtube channel mm-hmm. and you can find us on youtube at spirit keeper equine sanctuary where we are starting to put up little by little a few videos but some of those videos are going to be training videos some of them are going to be um sort of life hack with horses videos that we're going to show you stuff some of those are going to be introducing horses where you can see them live and in person and on video um Angie's interview is one of the first oh, yeah. videos that we have in our YouTube channel. You did not edit that at all. No, I You didn't. said you were gonna. There was nothing to edit. It was uh, fine. I know. It, it was, was fine. fine. I know it was fine. It's about five minutes, and Angie answered a few questions that I'm, we're going through and asking all the board members. <coughs> so hers is the first one up because I didn't have to edit it. I've filmed two others that I'm having to edit a little bit, and yours was just fine. Oh, thank you. I didn't have to edit it. So it's up on our YouTube channel. Go look at it. Watch Angie's video. It's about five minutes. Yeah. Like and subscribe. Please. Please like our Facebook page and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Yeah. And then I have a separate YouTube channel, Behavior Education LLC, where I'm going to be putting up videos about horses, dogs, snakes that relate to husbandry and training and behavior. So if you're interested in more than just horses, check that out. And, oh, we're getting a delivery. So you're always going to hear on this podcast, maybe cats roaming around. Dogs, you're going to hear the dogs in the background. um, Depending on where we're recording, so. Hopefully we can mitigate that a little bit. It's okay. Yeah, I guess it, yeah. We're just talking horses, yeah. and we want to be down to earth, and we want to be real, and we're doing it here at the sanctuary, and there's animals yeah. around us. Yeah. There. We're sitting in a room right now with... Um, the cat's on the laptop. The cat is laying on the laptop. 
there's a dog on the couch, a dog on the floor. I'm sitting on the table because the dog is on the couch. Yeah. And we've got enclosures full of snakes around us. So yeah. This is as real as it gets. It, yes, it is. So with that, <laughs> thank you for listening. Thank you. We hope you listen again. Again, like and subscribe us everywhere you find us. You can look us up by Spirit Keeper Equine Sanctuary. And again, the name of the podcast is Equipod. Yeah. Thank you.